Okay, so welcome to Her Time to Retire. I'm Jonathan Scott, your host today. And I am a co-owner and advisor at Keystone Financial Resources. And this podcast was created so that we can speak with women who are at the top of their industry and create a place where they can share their best ideas and advice with you, our listeners. Our guest today has some incredible wisdom to share with us on today's episode. Today, I'm talking with Sherry Deutschman, founder and CEO at Brain Trust. And Sherry is a serial entrepreneur. She's an author and a passionate advocate of entrepreneurship. In 2019, Sherry founded Brain Trust, a company dedicated to helping women entrepreneurs grow their businesses. Now, prior to founding Brain Trust, Sherry was founder and CEO of Letter Logic Inc. This is a company that she grew to $40 million and sold it in 2016. Now, Letter Logic was named as an Inc. 5000 company which is one of the 5,000 fastest growing privately held businesses in the U.S. for consecutive 10 years. Now, Sherry attributes the success of Letter Logic to its unique culture in which the needs of the employees come before those of the customer or the shareholder. And that culture led Sherry and Letter Logic to be featured in the New York Times, Forbes Magazine, Business Leaders, Inc., and Fast Company. Sherry was honored by President Barack Obama as a White House Champion of Change in 2016. And Sherry's book, Lunch with Lucy, Maximize Profits by Investing in Your People, was released in March of 2020, and it received national honors winning both the 2021 Gold Forward Indies Business Book Award and the 2021 Bronze Axiom Business Award. Is that right, Sherry? It is. All right. Very accomplished. So... Welcome. I'm glad to have you today. And um, in reading that bio, yeah. you've said everything there is to know about me, so <laughs> I can leave now. <laughs> it feels like it, doesn't it? Well, there's a lot to say about you, and there's a whole lot more I want to get into. Um, tell us a little bit um, about um, uh, you as a person. We're going to get into brain trust today, but I really wanted to just find out uh, and let our listeners find out a little bit about where this all started for you. Tell us a little bit about your story. It started in the mountains of North Carolina. Um, I, I grew up in a town called Banner Elk, which is a ski resort town. Very familiar with Banner Elk. Mm -hmm. And uh, I left there in my early 20s. I was newly divorced, a mm -hmm. uh, young mother. I had a, a two-year-old daughter and decided that I was going to move to Nashville to be a star. Um, thought I was a singer. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and I'm a pretty mediocre singer, and I had no other skills or knowledge or uh, anything. I had only a high school diploma. The only skill I had was in toilet scrubbing. Uh, I had a route where I cleaned uh, gas station bathrooms. Oh. Um, it was a rough job. Very glamorous. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I was a receptionist for my dad's plumbing company, and that's how I made a living. And so I was kind of, oh, not kind of, I was very naive thinking I was going to come here and get a record deal. And um, had very little to fall back on. Um, so I ended up selling cars. Okay. Uh, I worked at Beeman Lincoln Mercury because you could get a job selling cars without a degree, uh, without any education of any kind really, and without any formal training. So I started a career there in sales. Mm -hmm. Um, I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness, okay. so that Jehovah's Witness background um, 
turned out to be a pretty good training ground for sales. Okay. So you learn how to call on everybody, knock on every door, and to handle rejection. And so um, that background really served me well in sales. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, the first couple of years in Nashville were very rough. Uh, I didn't have enough money often to pay the light bill and daycare. So my daughter and I um, learned how to take cold showers in the dark wow. and just had a, a cooler where we kept, you know, the basic needs uh, that had to be refrigerated and just, you know, struggled through life for a couple of years until I kind of hit my stride in sales and, and started getting out of that um, kind of impoverished period right. of my life. Right. So I bet you were great at sales. I, I think I'm decent. Okay. I've seen much better. <laughs> so how long do you say that you spent uh, selling cars there and what was the transition? I was only there a year because okay. I did uh, what a lot of women do, which is foolish. I started dating my boss. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and then, you know, it became obvious one of us had to leave and that was me. Hmm. But I'm you know, grateful for that time selling cars. Um, the car industry's rough. Lots of I mean, very long hours, so that was really hard for me as a single mom. And not steady income. I would do really great one month and sell a lot of cars, and then a couple of months not sell much. So, How did that lead you on to letter logic? Um, I started, when I left the car business, I just started working for um, my waste management first okay. in medical waste sales. Mm -hmm. And um, that just led me to a career of medical sales. And um, I was, went, went to work for a company here, actually here, just a block away from here, oh, wow. um, National Business Products. And they had, uh, Stephen Prince was my boss, and he had the idea that he could get hospitals to send their data to us electronically, and then we would print and mail the hospital bills. And so he owned a traditional printing company, printing letterhead business sure, cards sure. and things like that but he had decided that he could get hospitals to do that. And that's what he hired me to do, to go to hospitals and say, send us that data, let us do your printing and mailing of your bills. And it was right at the very beginning of hospitals beginning to even think about outsourcing that. So it took me uh, maybe six months to get my first client. And then after that, we just grew so quickly. And so I went from making so little money I couldn't keep the lights on to making six figures very quickly Wow! and uh, bought my first nice car and bought a house. And, you know, um, by that time I owned a couple of houses, but that company was acquired. And with the acquisition, um, I was vice president of sales for that company. And um, in general, we were just not very good. I would sell a new account and lose an account the same day because our customer service was so bad. So I had no, no trouble selling the accounts, but keeping them was the problem. See. I think that's a challenge for a lot of business owners. Yeah. You, know, you talk about um, consistent uh, flow mm -hmm. going in the top of the bucket, but how do you seal up the hole in the bottom of the bucket? So um, I was a really dedicated employee. I feel like I'm, I was an ideal employee. I was um, mostly paid on commission, but on nights and weekends, I'm the one who cleaned the bathrooms. When they needed um, tile laid in the IT department, I'm the one who laid it. I was there on the weekends cleaning the lawn. 
You took and pulling weeds. I took ownership. And, and um, when we started having so many customer service problems, I set out to figure out why. Why most of the problems were simple human error. And that was really easy to see, which led me to see that my coworkers didn't care as much as I cared. Mm. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been so careless. And then I had an epiphany that the reason they don't care is because nobody here cares about them. And they knew it and they felt it. And I had just read the book um, called Nuts. And it's um, a story about how Herb Kelleher started Southwest Airlines with his belief that if he took great care of the pilots and the flight attendants and the baggage carriers, that they would take great care of the passengers and it would all work out. And it has, mm -hmm. you know. It did. It's a great model. Yeah, right? Sure. So that was like ding, 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 ding to me. Uh, I ran to my boss and said, I've got an idea for how we can stop the bleeding here. Mm -hmm. That if we just take better care of the employees, they will take better care of the customer. And instead of being grateful to me that I was concerned about his company, my boss patted me on the hand and said, Sherry, you don't know anything about business. You know, why don't you just go sell something? wonder how he feels today. Well, I've, <laughs> I've talked to him many times since then. Okay. But um, that was just so demoralizing mm -hmm. and frustrating. And so I did what a lot of people thought was foolish because I was making six figures. Um, I just quit. And I decided that I could do what he was doing better. So I, That's the American dream. It is. And you weren't afraid because you had been there before. Yeah. Oh, I, didn't, I, could, I could go back to scrubbing toilets right. any time. That's right. So I went to several different people in town and said, I need about $350,000 to start this company competing with that guy. Mm -hmm. And all, this is, this is amazing. All five of them said yes. That is not part of the typical entrepreneurial journey. Usually it's really hard for people to get funding especially women, which is another whole story. You know, we only get 2% of the venture capital in this country, which is crazy. So I um, looked at all their offers, and none of them were going to give me the latitude to run the company the way I wanted to run the company. So I just said no to everybody. And I had a week-long yard sale, sold all my belongings. By that time, I was flipping houses, so I sold the houses that I had, cashed in my 401k, and got up enough money. Um, not $350,000, but I got enough money to get started. And I, so right there in my basement, right next to the washer and dryer, I had sold everything, so I just had to go to the Goodwill and buy two little short filing cabinets. And that became the base for my desk, and there was an old door that I pulled over the file cabinets that became my desk. And I had a, a whiteboard and a landline and the company that I had just left uh, gave me an old computer, and that's where I started. And What year was that? That was 2002. That's amazing. And an amazing time. It was just right after the dot-com bubble. Right. Mm -hmm. So actually, I left them in October of um, 2001 mm -hmm. and then incorporated in, in uh, January 2002. And knew that I could be just like them. I knew I could sell the service, but I knew that I could also implode if I followed their path. And so 
my business model from day one was to be all about the employees. And I just really took to heart what I read in that book. And I'm going to take such good care of these people that when they're at work, they're not wondering whether or not the lights are going to be on when they get home. I'm going to pay them enough that they're not worried about that. And I'm going to take care of all of their other needs. So when they're here, they're totally focused just on the customer. And if I do that, my customers will be loyal and they'll be willing to pay a premium. So day one, I had, um, we paid for 100% of the employees' medical, dental, disability, and life insurance. We paid a fair living wage, which I could talk about for an hour what that means sure. and what constitutes a fair living wage. Um, we Assuming that the fair living wage was above normal, above average. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then we helped them start their own companies if they were entrepreneurial. We uh, gave them gifts for the down payment of their first homes. So we had a first time home buyers program. And then in the best business idea I ever had in my entire life, I had a very unique profit sharing plan that changed everything. And you know how most companies that have profit sharing plans, they pay out the profit annually. Mm -hmm. and they might do it in stock or stock options. Um, they might do it in cash, but it's annually. It's after the books close. It's not really related to any person's individual behavior or outcomes. It's just in general. But I wanted every employee to care as deeply about the company as I did. So every month I brought all the employees together in one room. And first it was a room this size. Mm -hmm. And then as we grew, it was a much larger space, and we had lunch catered in. And then we went over the financials from the previous month. I shared with them the P&L. So they could see to the penny how much money we brought in. Mm -hmm. And they could see all our expenses, and we could talk about the expenses. We took the bottom line and took 10% of the bottom line, no matter what it was, and gave it to them with physical checks right there on the spot. With the key to that being that everybody got exactly the same dollar amount, which means our CFO got exactly the same thing our janitor got. Wow. Because the CFO was already paid for their skills and knowledge because they had a much higher salary than did our janitor. But they equally contribute to the end product. Right. And so everybody got exactly the same dollar amount. And there was a real connection for the employees between their actions and that bottom line. So in months where we had a very profitable month, mm -hmm. you know, we could get together at that monthly meeting and celebrate it and right. talk about how we were, you know, rolling like a, like a, uh, a Timex, you know, right, right. a Rolex, right. not a Timex. Right. And, um, that everything, everybody did exactly what they were supposed to do when they were supposed to do it and look at the results and here's your checks. Nice. And then when things weren't so well, because we had a major screw up, then we didn't point to the person who started it because all of us were part of the mistake. Right. Because there were so many ways we could catch it along the way. Right. 
we just talk about it. And let's make sure that never happens again. And because of that, the profit share is not as much this month. So the first profit share check was about $7. Mm -hmm. um, and you would think that's not going to motivate anybody. It did. Sure. It was still like, I am part of something bigger. Right. And then that grew to you know, $70 and then $700. And this is every month. Mm. So if you've got people that are making $20, $25 an hour, and then every month you're getting a check for $500 or $700 or $1,000. Right. It's a big deal. It was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And it is why we had very little turnover, why we had the cream of the crop coming, wanting to come to work for us. And there was a really unusual byproduct um, that I did not expect. So maybe five or six years into that, I was with um, the sales team presenting to a big healthcare system. So our, our clients were the big healthcare systems of our nation. So Bon Secours up in the Virginias to Dignity Health in California, Stanford University Medical Center in Northern California. Those were our clients. And in one of those meetings, I just told the customer, the prospective customer, mm -hmm. si sitting with him and a bunch of decision makers around a table like this. Right. And I just said, I want you to know, Jonathan, that I want your business. I do want your signature on that page today. But I don't believe the customer comes first. And there was a long silence. Mm -hmm. And people looking at each other like, did she just say what I thought she said? And my salespeople squirming like, oh, no, she didn't say that. And then their reaction was priceless. They got it. And then the salespeople, instead of being embarrassed about me, started saying, hey, can you come with us and do that thing you do? Because um, they didn't quite have the guts to do it. And the sales team said that 85% of our the closes they made were what they called culture sales. Mm -hmm. That that's why people were choosing us. Mm -hmm. In fact, we had one of those clients, which is you know big, very prestigious healthcare system, write us a letter to say you were 10% higher than the next highest bid, and yet we still chose you because we could see how the culture of your company would affect us. Mm -hmm. And it is why the company did so well. Wow. So everything from letting the employees bring their kids and pets to work to helping them buy a house to tr treating every employee like they mattered and ha having at the heart of all that, the guiding principle for the whole company was empathy. Truly listening and caring about each individual and their individual circumstances. And they knew they were cared for. For sure. And so they gave it their all. And it would be hard to see how that would not work. I mean, you know, that's how would someone not have ownership in the company? That's why it baffles me that more companies don't follow that philosophy um, because it's really, really plain to see. You sold that company in 2016, right? Yes. And that went on to um, Brain Trust, correct? Yes. So tell me a little bit about Brain Trust. Well, through the years that I was growing 
letter logic, I was part of two different organizations that were pivotal to my success, I believe. And one was EO, which is the Entrepreneurs' Organization. And the other was WPO, which is the Women's President's Organization. They work similarly in that they put entrepreneurs together in small groups for peer learning. And that was really valuable to me, and I wanted to give more women the opportunity to experience that. Mm -hmm. But you can't join either of those organizations until you get to a million in annual revenue. Well, the problem is that only 2% of women ever get there. Only 7% of men ever get there. And so here's this massive market. In the U.S., it's 13 million women business owners who don't achieve a million in annual revenue. So I created this peer-to-peer -peer learning for them, for those 13 million women, to be part of a peer group of people who can hold them accountable and who can share their lived experiences in a way that helps them overcome hurdles and vet opportunities better so they make better choices and decisions. And wow, it's working. It is working. You know, there's some commonalities here. So um, ladies, if you're listening today, um, there are some things that progress for Sherry. I want to dig in and, uh, and kind of flush some of these commonalities out. What point did you decide that you knew who you were? Was it when you were leaving the car sales business? Was it when your boss reached out and patted your hand and said you don't know anything about business? At what point did you discover who you really were and become confident in that? I think I was 12 and um, I tell this story in my book which if I tell it on the air I cry so I don't tell it, uh, try not to, but um, where I spoke up to my dad, mm -hmm. who was kind of a dictator and um, not very kind to my mother, and I stood up to him at 12, mm -hmm. no longer able to take how he treated her. Mm -hmm. And it shifted my relationship with him mm -hmm. permanently. And from that point on, I realized that my power to speak a truth and to be direct and honest with people mm -hmm. was a superpower. And mm -hmm. that um, I had to use that power. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, through the years, I, I you know, had to stand up for myself, then became an advocate for people who couldn't speak up for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when it came to standing up to a boss who didn't appreciate me, or standing up to clients. So I regularly fired clients that were not a good fit until I learned not to bring them on to, to begin, begin with. <laughs> it's a hard lesson, ladies. It is, isn't it? I hope you got that. Don't bring people on in the first place that are not a good fit. You know, some of the most powerful moments I have had in my career was um, saying no to prospective clients yes. and saying no to clients. And you think that is going to hurt the relationship, mm -hmm. it does just the opposite. Mm -hmm. It creates so much trust um, when you can say no to a customer and have mm -hmm. conviction that you're doing the right thing. That's right. So I, I think that really started at 12. 
And it was a terrifying moment for me, but um, a pivotal moment in my life. And when my father passed away in 2016, he died before I sold the company. So he didn't, I mean, he knew the company was really successful and I was doing well. But as he was in his last days, he told me that um, I was his best friend. And I was the one person he felt like he could be honest with. And what a gift. It was a gift. What a gift. And it was because I was honest with him. Starting at 12. And so um, I relate to that so much. You know, um, I told you before we started that that's my mother out front. Yes. And, um, you know, my mom's been uh, a hero to me ever since I was very little. But um, I remember the first time I got a sense of who I was. And it was a part of our story. But, you know, my when I was five years old, um, my mother and father went through a very atypical divorce. And I tell people it was more of an abandonment. And so I went from living a very nice lifestyle. Um, you know, we lived in a nice house in, in Roswell, Georgia. My father uh, was a part of... Um, uh, aviation industry and um, doing very very well I uh, remember he drove a Corvette mom drove a Cadillac and um, in in one year's period of time we were living in a completely different town we were completely on our own um, you know I remember when uh, when I thought we were getting robbed and it was actually the the repo man coming and taking my mother's car away because my father hadn't paid the bill on it and um, so very early on, I went through a huge transition, and I remember seeing my mother anguish through that time, and I remember seeing her security just wash away almost all at one time. And she went from having, you know, a very secure life and one that she felt like she knew what the outcomes were going to be in the future to suddenly having that all dissolved and having to become the primary breadwinner. And so, you know, at six or seven years old, I remember very clearly thinking to myself, you know, as soon as I'm big enough, as soon as I'm able to, I'm going to make sure she doesn't have to feel that way ever again. And, you know, there's goods and bads to feeling that. Yeah. And there's things that you have to come through and realize, you know, you can't uh, protect and change everything and you're not responsible for everything. But by the same token, it gave me a very good sense of what I could accomplish and what I could be driven to do. And, um, you know, the boldness that you talk about is a characteristic that I know that entrepreneurs, uh, by and large, have to experience. And they have to have a come-of-age time. They have, to, they have to become bold to be successful. You have to have a good sense of who you are, know exactly who you are, why you're here, what you're doing, and be bold enough to state it to other people. And, and not worry about what the outcome is. It is who you are, it is what you believe very clearly, and you're able to state it. And that's really um, a neat place to get to. So um, once you got to that place and you began to see this success in this model, um, and you began to see that it was scalable and you could teach other ladies with it, you know, tell me a little bit about um, what you get out of that past just the money. You know, I talk to people all the time, and um, for me in this business, um, I absolutely love clients that come in and say, you know, I, I need some help. I need some help. Not, not just, you know, I want to do better here, or, you know, help me maximize this. 
I really love hearing the words that I need some help and then being able to document where we were right then at that moment and then look back in a few months time or a year's period of time and look at all the changes together and have that victory moment of saying, you know, this was life changing. I know that 100% I helped change this person's life for the better and maybe the generations past that. And that fuels me so much more than just the dollar because I can make plenty of dollars in investing on my own. Um, this is what I get out of helping people. For you, what is that? It's about seeing uh, women reach financial independence mm -hmm. and for a lot of women to end generational poverty. It's deeply satisfying and, you know, this this new company, Brain Trust, is a, a for-profit entity. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I could model for women how to create a scalable, profitable business if I did it as a nonprofit. Right. But we're a long way from profitability. Well, we might begin cash flowing at the end of this year. Okay. And so it is a labor of love mm -hmm. to spend my time helping them make critical connections and funding. So I've personally invested in 23 women-owned businesses, but really more critically connecting them to the right engineers or the right CFO or uh, the right investor for them so that they can turn that business into whatever it can be. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's about money, but it's also about the megaphone that successful entrepreneurs get. So the idea that I would be invited to the White House, that I would address Congress, that is ri ridiculous. But I got there because I had a successful business. That's right. That did things a little differently. And so I want more women to have, to experience that, the power and the influence that you get through a successful business and doing it your way. Uh, and man, I see it happening. It's, you know, with, in general, you know, as I said, less than 2% of women get to a million. But in our first 24 months, more than 10% of our members made it. Oh, that's fantastic. So we've had to create another whole product for women over a million because uh, right. they did not want to leave to go to those other organizations. Right. They wanted to stay with these women. <laughs> so now we have the key club for women over a million. Um, and uh, several of them are heading to 10 million and, and well beyond. That is so fantastic. Well, Sherry, I can see how you're the catalyst for that and also just a wonderful resource for so many ladies. So Sherry, uh, for our listeners out there, uh, tell them how they might get in touch with you. Well, you can check out our website at ourbraintrust.org or email me directly at Sherry D, that's S-H-E-R-R-Y-D, at OurBrainTrust.org. So I hope that our listeners um, will be able to reach out to Sherry for ideas or uh, services and things. Sherry Deutschman, uh, she is the founder and CEO of Brain Trust, and we have enjoyed having you today for certain. Thank you. It was a joy to be with you. Good, good. And I tell you, if any of you have any questions out there listening today, uh, you can always call in. 
uh, you can reach out to us at keystonefinancialresources.com. But uh, we'll look forward to each of you having something good to hear for next time. You have been listening to Her Time to Retire with Glenn Price and Jonathan Scott. Glenn and Jonathan would love to talk to you and answer any of your retirement questions. All listeners can take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation with Glenn and Jonathan, whether via a phone call, Zoom meeting, or in person. You can schedule your consultation by calling 615-661-9554 or by visiting our website at www.keystonefinancialresources.com. Thanks for listening. The opinions expressed by Keystone Financial Resources and guests on this podcast are their own and do not reflect the opinions of this station. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to subject covered. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, or BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and Keystone Financial Resources are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM, but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents.